Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Kenem. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of entertainment, so let's waste no more time, shall we? Hit us up on our social media. You can find all our accounts on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Always use the hashtag ODPH because we have a lot to discuss. Kicking off the show, though, what a finale, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Holy sugar cookies. Two hours did not do enough justice. A lot to digest, a lot to try to figure out where they're going for the final season. As they've already said, they've renewed for season seven, mm-hmm. and that will be next year, next summer, I believe. Yep, next, presumably next summer, and we do know uh, because a lot of the actors and actresses have already posted it on social media. They did just recently, uh, I believe it was middle of last week or yes. so, finished filming season seven. So season seven, filming-wise, is in the can. Now, that doesn't include any VFX stuff or reshoots or this or that, but principal shooting of season seven is now complete correct so it's already more or less done i mean just except for final touches Mm -hmm. but we are going to break down the final two episodes of the season we are talking spoilers we'll put the timestamp in when we are done talking about this if you haven't seen the episode because we don't want to ruin it for anybody it was a great episodes and i can say i know i just said great episodes yeah plural both because it's all one merged episode into two hours but let's waste no more time shall we in three, two, one, pad. What did you think? Well, going into it, I was like, why is this two hours? Like, I know two hour season finales have become kind of a thing lately. I'm like, why is this two hours? I'm kind of glad it was two hours because given how the first episode ended, and we'll get to that in a minute, I'm glad I didn't have to wait a week. I had to wait like all of maybe two minutes. It would have been cool to have waited a week yeah. with that cliffhanger ending. Yeah, yeah. But I fear that the fan base would have completely gone ballistic mm-hmm. on social media to yeah. the point where. It would have needed to have been addressed very, very quickly. So luckily we had back-to-back episodes this week. And as we finally get into the Battle of Izel, who gets the Shrike, what is the mystery of Sarge, mm-hmm. where our team is left stranded. Because at this point, they are at their, dare I say, last end. They're at, they're at the end of their rope. Exactly. You have Yo-Yo and Mac, who is captured in the, uh, I believe, the Yucatan Temple, mm-hmm. that Izel is trying to resurrect the monoliths and, yep. and recreate the Shrike. And bring him into planet Earth. Let's say trying out for uh, for America's uh, what is it? Uh, America's Got Talent. It's something because she is trying everything in her power to open a doorway mm-hmm. into bringing the Shrike into the world. Yep. And our heroes are trying to stop him. And on the flip side, back home at the lighthouse, everybody is trying to figure out what is going on with Sarge. That we now know the reveal of the I guess combination half Coulson, half Monolith. Yeah. All absolutely back crazy. Yeah. It turned out to be a great way to lead into the episode, but we go right into the cliffhanger where Flint from last season, mm-hmm. the I don't we can't say mutant from the future, but he has powers. Yeah, but I think now maybe Me- the it's metahuman, the metahuman. Well, no, that's DC. We can't say that either. Nah. Person has powers uh, until it's going to be clarified. I'm sure by season seven, probably. Flint is trying to make a save for Mac and Yo-Yo, who's tied up in the temple, but Izel takes over Flint mm-hmm. and. At this point, she now has the powers to have Earth control. Yeah. A lot like Terra from Teen Titans. Yep. 
so what does she do? She makes the monolith that she needs to open the doorway. I'll say because Flynn comes in and he sees them. Oh, I'm going to save you. I'm going to play the hero, which is all very well and noble. I, mm-hmm. I credit him for that. But he doesn't listen to what Yo-Yo and Mac are saying, like, no, get out, get out, don't, no, no. And, well, he ends up hurting the cause. And especially with Izel, who knows that she can body jump into anybody and take control of mm-hmm. powered, powered beings. Yeah. That this is obviously a recipe for disaster. And it turns out, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And then they flip back, which, again, they do a lot of jumping around. So please bear with me, folks. We go back to the lighthouse. We have May talking with Sarge mm-hmm. and trying to come to some common ground i guess moving forward of what needs to be done to take out izel and colson is just basically saying look i'm not the guy that you think i am yeah get the idea that i'm colson and i'm gonna because because as much as may says oh i'm over it i i know he's not colson anymore and you know no matter what she says we as viewers can tell because you know we've we've been through you know now six seasons with her and and sarge can clearly pick up like okay you say you're over this but you're really not exactly so we all know as viewers what's going on may is trying to have the quote-unquote poker face Mm -hmm. that she's not gonna let her guard down but sarge knows this and sarge is being very honest and upfront i'm not colson so you can get that out of your head i'm gonna do what i need to do and then we go to where deke is with Fitz and Simmons, and they're trying to figure out a way to stop Izel. Yeah. And he did come up with the idea about making a belt-like weapon to block her from jumping into mm-hmm. bodies, which, ingenious move by yeah. Deke. And this does come to play later on that he now has, I don't want to say weaponized it because I don't think that's the right terminology, but he's doing production work to make sure that this device goes into effect for every member of the team. Mm-hmm. And then we go back to the temple where everybody's flying to. Izel is waiting for him, and she sends a stri- the strike out into the world and says, bring me an army. At this point, this is where the episode really starts kicking in the gear, in my oh, opinion. Oh, yeah. Because once the team arrives and they try going for the sneak attack into the temple, they're met with some opposition, and Flint frees Yo-Yo and Mac at this time. But Izel is trying to get in and... She tries jumping on Yo-Yo and breaks Flint's leg. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, they have somebody wounded at this point. And as Fitz and Deke are trying to make their device, this yeah. is kind of one one thing I was touching upon last week episode, that I don't know if Fitz had jealousy about that he wasn't the one to come up with the idea yeah. for the, the belt block or whatever yeah. you want to call it. But you can kind of see the tension is boiling over finally between him and Deke. I don't think it's necessarily 100%. He's jealous. He's not the ones coming up with the ideas. I think it's just frustration on his part that, like, you know, that Deke was keeping this from them for so long because we don't know how long he had these people in secret working on all these projects. You know, here the team is fighting life and limb, you know, by the skin of their teeth to try and save the world and stop Izel and figure everything out. And, oh, hey, by the way, yeah, sorry, Grandpa. I've had people in the back here working on solutions the entire time, and I never bothered to tell you. Well, the one thing you got to remember, too, is this entire season, even tying into last season, Deke has been a throwaway character. Yeah. Everybody has pushed him on the wayside because they yeah. didn't think he knew what he was doing. And I don't want to say that everybody thought, you know, he was a complete fool, but he was the one that is building his, you know, Google-like company yeah. out of nowhere. And we have agents that are allegedly in that company that are supposed to keep eyes on him. And nobody realizes that he was stealing Shield Tech and developing it and working on it. I think they knew. It's just to them none of it was real hard at the time none of it was very harmful so it's like all right hey we know but like 
what the what's the harm? Exactly. So when we fast forward to this point in, in this episode, yeah, he has his team working on it, but they're also proving that Deke has actually known what he's doing all along. He uh-huh. just is. I don't want to say socially awkward, but it kind of is bit. because of the different time period he's from. Yeah. So at this point, Fitz is venting his frustration, and Deke just unloads and just basically says, look, you guys left me to the wayside. You didn't think I had any value to bring to the team. Well, guess what? Here I am. I'm saving the day. Yeah, he, he basically unloads an entire season's worth of frustration and anger, and even bringing up to Simmons, oh, listen, you didn't even trust me enough to tell me my own grandfather was dead. Exactly. Which Th- twists the knife in that heart. No, this was probably Deke's shining moment in the series yeah. that he's been in thus far, without question. So at this point, he's messing around. He has the the belt blocker, whatever you want to define it as, to stop Izel from body jumping into people. And they're also unveiling that he has made his own teleportation device, Mm -hmm. which hasn't been tested. And at this point, Deke is just saying, look, somebody's got to do it. It's going to be me. I'm expendable anyway. Boom, gone. Yeah, yeah, you you guys want me to prove myself so badly. Here we go. Yeah, which all of a sudden Fitz is like trying to flip. No, no, it hasn't been tested. And Deke is just like, look, I got this. Let me pull some weight on this team. Yeah, and I love the, the after effects where like he takes off. We don't know if he's dead or alive or not. Fitz and Simmons are standing there with their jaws on the floor, looking like they're about ready. They don't know whether they they need to yell, scream, or cry. And and the entire team pauses and goes, hey, yay, all right. And I'm sitting there going, you guys don't know if he's alive or not. Yeah, well, his team, I, I don't want to say are blind followers, but they kind of are. I thought something, honestly, I is, is devout and as much as they loved him, I thought something weird was going on. Like, not necessarily a mind control type deal, but like something to that effect where like, they love him and appreciate and admire him a little too much. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I don't know why. I mean, he's not really been the most charismatic character no. on the show. Like that like when you have Colson talking, I mean he's just Clark Gregg is just so charismatic in the role that he just, you know, gravitates and everybody wants to listen to Colson and such. And it's nothing against the performance by any stretch of the means. It's just Deke has always been written as the throwaway character. So to see him now established at, mm-hmm. at this stage of that he has followers. I mean, it, it's kind of a weird, yeah. weird flip. And like I say, Jeff Ward does an amazing job in this kind of role because this is the first time he's really, yeah. I don't, I don't want to say stretched his acting wings on the show, so to speak, but this is he's really out of character and he doesn't need to be, you know, the the goofy playoff character that you know is just the awkward member yeah. of the team. I'm more than just the comedic relief, right? This is where he really stepped up and really shined in the episode, and I thought. This was his moment here, too, because once he gets to where he needs to go, what happens? All hell breaks loose. Exactly, because at this stage, too, you have May, Sergeant, Quaker trying to storm the base. They have the the great fight sequence, Mm -hmm. too, which, I mean, this whole season, S.H.I.E.L.D. has really stepped their game up on their action sequences. I mean, their stunt coordinators really need to get a lot of credit. And when this is going on, too, and Izel is, I don't want to say is kind of distracted at this moment, but she knows that the temple is getting attacked. Mm-hmm. She kind of lets her guard down a little bit that when Deke finally emerges in the temple and starts putting the bracelets, belts, or whatever you want to define it as, on everybody, Izel realizes she can't jump in everybody. And yeah. all of a sudden, the the you know pendulum has swung. Yeah. And everybody has that like little glimpse of hope. And at this point, too, they are getting everybody out of there, you know, escaping away from Izel. And Mac actually goes, nice job, Agent Shaw. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, if you want some validation for Deke finally this yeah. season, 
He is now, I guess, a full-fledged agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, Mac is director. What he says goes. Yeah, which is about time. I mean, he's definitely earned his keep, you know, with this whole episode. So if you're going to do it, and especially he has helped the team out throughout the two yeah. seasons. So yeah. it makes complete sense to me. But unfortunately, at this point, too, when he's getting everybody out of there, his teleporter, teleporter needs to recharge, mm-hmm. which was something that wasn't calculated. Yeah. So he is now on the run as everybody else is escaping. Izel now is doing the weird chant yeah. in the temple, which she's now summoning the the cloaks from the monolith, and, mm-hmm. and now those are now starting to become active. And once everybody gets away, you still have May and Sarge are talking, and they're still going at it about you know Coulson is gone, and this has not escaped this entire time. So when they're moving forward to the monoliths are finally unleashed, and now they make the portal. Now, this is where stuff gets kind of weird. A little bit. Because once they start doing the portal, you see the zombies are starting to, you know, the invading is happening. I mean, I, I call them zombies. That's like, essentially, that's what they are. Cause, yeah, because, I mean, what else are they doing at this point? So at this stage, you have everybody starting to come through a little bit. You have Deke, who's finally escaped and made it to a Quinjet that's on the outside of the building, mm-hmm. and he's waiting for backup, but nobody can get to him at time. You have Sarge now going and finally having that big face-off against Izel. And everybody's like, okay, this has been his whole mission the entire time. He's meant to do this. And what happens? Tries to stab her, and he can't. He can't. Now, at this stage, you got to think that whatever is inside Coulson slash Sarge has taken over. I thought it was some sort of, like, something put in by Izel as, like, a fail-safe. Because they never really said it, but the feeling I kind of got throughout the whole season is, like, however Sarge got Coulson's body... I felt like Izel had something to do with it in some capacity. And, and when he goes to stab her and can't stab her, I'm like, oh, this, this must be some sort of failsafe she put in in case he tried this. Yeah, which I it, it makes sense. But, I mean, the whole, you know, dis- dissection of what Sarge is at this point. Yeah. Is just, it, I don't want to say it's, it's very confusing, but you never know. And there's kind of like the loopholes that you can put yeah. in there. Because yeah. obviously Izel has ties into whatever is inside of Coulson mm-hmm. and is like a failsafe of like who's taking over, who's really strong at this point and such. And at this stage, you start seeing Sor- Sarge is being torn about who to follow because May is there and May is pleading her case and trying to say about, you know, hey, we need to, to stop this threat. And whatever is left of Coulson inside of him is clearly, like, tugging at him. Yeah, so you see the internal struggle happening mm-hmm. with Sarge. And then the shock of all shocks, uh-huh. Sarge kills May. Mm-hmm. Or so we think. Yeah. And then you see that May's body is shoved through the portal because the sword that he's been carrying around that has the metal that can stop all the Shrike is now stuck inside May, Yep. and May goes through the portal to whatever world that's the finest. I don't even think they really define where no. that is. We'll just call it Shrike World. Sure. Because reasons. Yeah. So at this point, this is where the first episode ends. Mm-hmm. And then they, they do flashback to Enoch, who's in a bar, who's getting interrogated by Isaiah, who is a, a Chronicon hunter. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ends that, Enoch realizes that he's the last one left of his of job know, freedom force that is trying to reestablish Chronicoms. Yeah, because they, they bring up something about archaeologists or I forget what it is. Yeah. And, and, and he goes, oh, well, all your contacts are no good. They're no longer archaeologists. And he's going through almost like a Rolodex type thing. And at first you start seeing a couple names or job titles. I'll call them switch from whatever they are to Hunter. And then he keeps scrolling through, scrolling through, scrolling through. And that's when he realizes oh, crap, they're all hunters. Yeah, which 
it goes back to the kind of the pacing of the show because we really haven't seen Enoch for a while. Yeah, a couple episodes. And well, the last we saw him was he gave the beeper pager, whatever you want to call it, to uh, Fitz mm-hmm. and goes, hey, listen, you ever need me? Here you go. Right. So this whole storyline is really kind of fallen in underneath the major one, which I yeah. mean, it makes sense. But yeah. just, I, you know, obviously, it's just a lot of moving parts going on with that. Kind of need a quick refresher on that. It, I, you know what? I expected him to show up at some point, but I didn't necessarily think it'd be the end of this season. You know, it, it crossed my mind that it would be, but I figured that might be something we see next season. That's what I figured too, because we have so much going on yeah. right now. Like he, like he's that phone beeper pager, whatever that thing is, and goes here. If you ever need me, you you just need to press this. And I'm like, all right, well, they'll clearly have him back at some point, right? So at that stage, a lot of questions have been left, but we have the cliffhanger moment of of all moments, which mm-hmm. is May gets killed. Yep. Which I don't think anybody saw coming. No. And every diehard Shield fan that's been here since day one, this is the moment that Twitter exploded. Yeah. So this had a huge impact going in. Like we said, if this show had ended and they didn't have a follow-up show for the week after, mm-hmm. how nasty would have Twitter gotten? Oh, Twitter would have gotten real crazy. Yeah, Twitter would have been absolutely ugly about this. But as we see, this is part one of the part two-part finale. So going in with this, we'll take a quick break. Mm-hmm. Definitely hit us up on the social media hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation because we're going to continue talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when we come back. You are listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. It's a Hey, this is Vince, the Calaman Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for part two of our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season finale breakdown here on the ODPH podcast. And where we left off, May was killed by Sarge in the shock of all shocks. Mm-hmm. Team Mac, as we're going to say, Mac, Yo-Yo, and Flint all escaped yep. outside of the temple right now. or They're making their way through, so they're not nearby. Quake is leading with them. And at this stage, the team opens up to the news that May has been killed, mm-hmm. that the lighthouse is watching, Simmons is watching back there and is spreading word that may has gone down team Mac, as I'm referring them to is not buying this one bit. No. And quake is having overwhelming guilt issues. Yeah. Because the entire time that she was defending Sarge and saying, no, no, he's Colson. I know from the moment that they had last week. So obviously you have that sense that this is going to hit her more than anybody because she essentially co-signed on Sarge coming on the mission. Yeah, and she's going to feel more guilty than anyone. I I killed, essentially, I killed uh, May. Right. So, obviously, this is going to have a huge impact on her this episode. But the team doesn't even have time to grieve because what happens at the lighthouse? Uh, The Enoch, or what I forget what they're called. The The the, Chronicoms. The Chronicoms, thank you. Hunters are essentially the entire Chronicom race, if if that's to be believed. Uh, Show up to the lighthouse and start shooting everything. Yeah, they start invading the lighthouse, shooting at everybody. To this point, for no goddamn. 
darn reason. Yeah, they really their motives have not been explained too much. Well, they've been hinted at, but like we just like we knew they were trying to find a Chronicom three, a new world to live in. We just never knew where that was, and we never we didn't know the reason at the time of the attack that Jay showed up to the lighthouse and just start taking out Shield. Yeah, so it's kind of one of those areas that we were starting to learn a little bit more about their motivations. Mm-hmm. But obviously, dealing with May, the team is not ready to deal with this, and then Mac is still trying to get his team out of there and he's also trying to guide Deke on flying the Quinjet out of the Yucatan strike area. And, and if I remember right, essentially trying to put the darn thing back together. Yeah, because it's it's been damaged. Yeah. And Deke is you know, as as smart as he is, it's a little outside his element. Yeah, this is something he's definitely not used to. So at this stage they have a lot going on. Izel is now reaching the other party and Sarge that's the only way you can really define it is yeah. just whoever the other being is. Let's say that the cloud is being lifted. Right. And the monolith creatures are now hovering over May on the other side of the realm, too. Which In one of the creepier shots I think I've ever seen. Yeah, well, we saw the body. So it yeah. wasn't a question of May, did she live or did she die? And was it like a hoax? No, she's dead. Yeah. With swords stuck in, you see the blood. And then you just see these weird shadowy monolith figures hovering over her. Mm-hmm. And... This was, like Pat said, one of the more creepier imagery that we've seen on S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Just because it, the monoliths, I mean, have been explained to a degree, but not yeah. to a certain degree of, like, were they going to be inhabiting May? So or, it's not exactly Encyclopedia Britannica-like explanations here. Right. So at this stage, there's so many questions going on. And then Fitz is now meeting up with Simmons inside the lighthouse and realizing that the hunters know everything because... When they were captured, Sips, Simmons and Fitz, mm-hmm. they, they were in that weird mind trap yeah. from a few episodes ago when they were reliving their own memories. Yep. The Chronicom hunters have all their brainwave information, so they know their moves before they're even making they them. They, quote-unquote, hacked their brains so they knew every strategy, every plan, every this, every that of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. And the only explanation for this is when they were making their way further into the lighthouse, there was a group of S.H.I.E.L.D. guards set up that, like, it was there wasn't anything written down or on paper that, like, this protocol was in place if something should happen. So they go, wait, how would they know this? And that's where they make the connection. Yeah, so this is setting up some future movements that are going to be happening on the series. But at this stage, you have Fitz and Simmons trying to fight the battle away from the Yucatan Temple. You have Izel, who is now almost on the moment of achievement. Looks like she's got one foot in the door. Yeah, I mean, she's almost at the finish line. And then what happens? Sarge turns on her. Mm Mm-hmm. And he claims that, obviously, with what's going on with Coulson, there's such an internal struggle that Izel should have done something more to get rid of Coulson. Just kind of the vibe I got from it. It, It's another instance of, like, we fully don't know what's going on or who's in control. Yeah, because when she is being blamed for, you know, you haven't taken care of this threat, you can definitely tell that Coulson is fighting back. Right, because earlier in the episode where, you know, like we said, the cloud gets, quote-unquote, lifted from his eyes, she starts looking at him with almost this, like, lover's reverence type of thing going on, where she's like, oh, finally, like, you've come to your senses, and now all of a sudden he's like done a 180 and she's like wait what yeah this to me had like a weird hawkman hawk girl vibe to yeah, it yeah yeah just you know like the destined lovers throughout the centuries and time and, and yeah. all that that was the kind of vibe i got from it but sarge was fighting because at this point i think colson took over because obviously yeah. realizing what happened with may you know that our director is not going down without a fight nope by any means nope so at this stage, they're setting up for another battle between them, and Sarge is ordering the strike to come back and says, you know, they won't until all the shield is gone, mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird 
moment too because yeah. at this stage, I mean, you think the Shrike is going to win, and then they don't, and it just starts getting a little weird in this stage because then they flip over to Deke, who is now you know guided to fly the ship, and Yo-Yo is you know using her powers to you know shoot at the Shrike because now they're fighting their way out because all the Shrike yep. is coming back. And then what happens, Pad? Yo-Yo gets infected with a Shrike. Yeah, one of them takes her over in like one of the bigger shock moments, which I will say the cinematography on this, they panned right to her face uh-huh. when this happened. Uh-huh. Was like, oh, this is a little uncomfortable and, shot, and, but and, it works. It sells the moment. And given her powers, you'd figure, oh, if one of these things comes at her, she'll just run away. Yeah. And she'll she, just get out of the way. Never had time. Nope. Couldn't even do it. Like nope. once, it, once it hit her face, she had no chance to escape. Yep. So at this stage... Now she has been taken over, and we know the track record. Yeah. When this happens, that fat- not good. Fatality is just you know mere moments away. So at this stage, now the viewers don't even have time to breathe about this because what do they do? They flash back to the lighthouse, mm-hmm. and Fitz and Simmons are making their final stand to basically blow up the lighthouse. Yeah, they're taking out everybody They're ready to go down in a blaze of glory. Right. And then they do another jump back too. Like I said, folks, the one thing I got to criticize about Shield this season is they do a lot of jumping around to the different stories going on. Yeah, because we see the shadow figures are you know getting ready to put their pendants that they have these weird stone pendants on, yeah. into a portal to like fully activate, and then May comes back to quote unquote life. Well, we don't see her throw them through. Sarge is talking with Izel and they're talking, talking, talking. And and the three stones just come through the portal and hit the ground. And both of them are like, what? Yeah. And then we see on the other side, May is there, sword in hand, kills all the three figures. Which the cool moment, and you can go to Ming Nawen's Twitter account because she confirmed this. Uh, the pose she did is a callback to Mul- the Disney animated film Mulan. I thought so. And and she, for those who don't know, she voices Mulan in that film. So the pose she did was like it's not just a, oh I just did a pose. No, she deliberately did that to like kind of call back to to Mulan, and she was very happy people uh, figured it out. So that was such a cool moment yeah. too. And like I thought it was, but I I didn't see that tweet yeah, originally. No, yeah, so yeah, she she confirmed it. So badass. And then we go back to where Fitz and Simmons are trying to make the save. And then Isaiah winds up saving them. Yep. Well, Pad, what what happens here? Uh, it wasn't quite Isaiah. It was Enoch wearing Isaiah's skin, essentially. Right. Who now has figured out a way to save everybody. I love his logic, though. You know, he goes to have a good poker face and to light everyone. It works well if you are not wearing your own face. Yeah, like I'm like, wait, what? His deadpan humor this entire oh, it's season so good. is so good. Like he was more comic relief than Deke, which yeah. I loved. Yeah, because the interaction with him and Fitz, which Fitz was just like the angry guy all season. Like mm-hmm. he got, he was mad at Enoch. He was mad. He, he's the guy talking like a million miles an hour, and and Enoch is the guy like slow down. We need to just wait and figure this out. Yes. But I totally love that when Enoch comes in and he has the plan to save everything, he goes, the plan to change your course of lives forever. And Fitz and Simmons, like, literally look at him and say, for real? Like, what? what? Well, first, he, he's kind of building up to it. That, like, oh, it's this momentous thing. It's like, yeah, okay, we've done those before. Like, what could it be? And then he goes, oh, yeah, you got to change the course of your lives forever. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, we do that on the regular. Yeah, it's like, what else is new? We're S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. This is, what you call a big moment, we call Tuesday. Yeah. Like, it's, it's nothing big to us. And then they go back to the temple, and Izel is now jumping through the portal to go fight May, which mm-hmm. this fight has been building for so long. Yep. Izel cannot do the body jump in May. 
They now have a crazy sword fight scene. Level playing field. Absolutely. And this is just, like we say, the stunt choreography in this, top notch. Mm -hmm. The whole fight scene here is just incredible. And then Team Mac on the other side is going after Izel too because now they've basically figured out, okay, we got to make the last stand. We know something's happening. They wind up meeting up in the room with Sarge. And then at this point, Quake sees Sarge Mm -hmm. with everything that she knows and what does she do, Pat? Starts blasting him with her powers. Everything that she can blast him with to uh-huh. the point where his skin literally rips off his body. I don't know if it's necessarily rips. It looks like it kind of dusted off, like from uh, Infinity War. It's a, it's a weird, like, special effect. It's not a bad one. I'm not, no. I'm not trying to say it's, it's bad. And then you see him in his alien form. Creepy. Which... I was sitting there and I couldn't wrap my brain around like what he was supposed to be because mm-hmm. I like part of me was thinking that he was almost like Warwolves from uh, Excalibur mm-hmm. if you read that from their original series, and I was like, no, it's not that, and I, I like I could not put my hand on or put my finger on it, but either way, you see Sarge, I guess, in his true form, which was a very weird alien-looking figure, yeah, and then at this point. Uh, you start seeing Yo-Yo is now really feeling the effects, and everything is kind of you know falling apart. Yeah, she after because after she got infected, she told uh, Quake Sky like, "Hey, listen, if if things go bad enough, you got to put me down. Like, you got to take that sword. You got to stab me in the heart." And, and she's really not doing good. No, and in the stage two, Mac is finally unleashing mm-hmm. all the rage he's had built up with him. I yeah. Mean, our director is fighting our other director, and it's a great fight scene happening. Yeah. And they're just tearing into everybody. Because, like, like I said, they're just tearing into each other, and it is just a awesome scene to see. And once they kind of get through this, you know, we see Yo-Yo is turning, and, and Quake can't stab her. And she and Quake literally goes, I can't do it, Mac. You have to. Yeah, that, that was that was one thing. I'm like, really? Like, yeah. Like, oh, I can't do it here. You're the one she loves, and you love her. You do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, really? I, 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 yeah, I, I agree with you, Pat, because I sat there watching. Like, for real? Like, you're gonna you're gonna make him do this? Yeah. Stop. Like, I get the the pickings were slim, but really? Yeah. So at this stage, it's just a no win situation, no. so to speak, at this point. But then they flip back through the portal. And Izel is killed by May, who come, who crosses over. But you can definitely tell at this point that she is not going to last. Right, because the thing Izel told her on the other side of the portal is like, you're dead on that that side of the world. Like, yeah, you're alive here, but that's because of this world's powers. Like, the instant you cross through that portal, you're dead. Right. So at this point, Izel is now killed. And then you see the Elvis Shrike now are, we're presuming either you know, disappearing a la Infinity War snap. Uh, or in Yo-Yo's case, because I, uh, believe, I believe because it was ingested, uh, she's now puking, like, what it looks like blood. Yeah, no, it, it, it resembled, it was it just resembled something out of, like, a sci-fi horror movie, and it was gross. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. So now she is saved. Yeah. And then you see the final blow with Mac kills Sarge. Mm-hmm. And then May dies in Quake's arms. Well. Or, so we think. Yeah. Then what happens? Uh, Simmons comes out of nowhere with all the bright lights and a bunch of, uh, what, what is it, uh, suited up sh- agent shield, shield agents in like a biohazard suits and 
She's all calm, cool, and collected. Yes, and she has a different hairstyle. So uh-huh. that was kind of the tip off for me. It's like, okay, something is really weird going on because she did not look like our typical Simmons. The tip off for me was that something was up was just her mannerisms. Like, given what was going on and everything that was going on, like I figured she'd have come in like, oh my god, you guys are okay. Let's let's get you out of here. But she was deadpan, like, oh okay, no, don't worry. She was very May like. Mm, yeah, that's the, what I took away. Which yeah. I'm going, okay, let's see where we go with this Mm -hmm. and then she is explaining that chronicom 3 has now become earth yep which is okay here this is all enoch's big plan that we think well it's not necessarily enoch's big plan it's the chronicom's plan well it's the chronicom's but you figure that enoch is now representing the chronicom so i mean that's why i say it's it's, it's, gotta be his plan and the team is now sent somewhere by fitz because fitz is now not with them again so at this stage I guess I, I got to nitpick a little bit if I can. We're now go- jumping into time travel, mm-hmm. and now everybody is somewhere else. Well, we at the time, we didn't know it was time travel. Just he wasn't there. We, he wasn't there, but you had to remember, though, he is technically out of the time stream. Mm, yeah. So he is in dealing with time travel. I mean, if you watch enough Doctor Who, you can figure it out. Yeah. I don't want to try delving into that wormhole because I will never get myself out of this one. Just everybody is somewhere they shouldn't be, and then we find out that the the, the temple is now destroyed. Yeah, it's, which it's was, falling apart on itself. Yeah, which was the plan, and it was exploding. And the team is now time jumped into where, Pad? Well, we at first they just get out of there, and they use the, the, the teleporter thing that Deke developed, and all of a sudden now it's being able to be used on the, the jet, and they take off, and they, they're flying through the air, and they're like, oh, where are we? And, and somebody goes, oh, we're over in New York, and it's a good thing it's foggy because I didn't activate the cloaking device uh, and they were like oh yeah there's new york there's the empire state building uh peeking over the clouds and simmons says oh that would be the case it is the and it is the tallest building in the world and then they you know you go through a couple more scenes and then they cut back and and quake says i'd ask for a drink you know so the the tallest building in the world was one tip off then you get the other tip off when when quake goes oh well i'd ask for a drink but i don't think it's legal right now so presumably they're in uh the united states in the 1920s during prohibition when alcohol was illegal yeah they don't really explain where they are just the only thing you know that the plan is to go back in time and stop stop the chronicon hunters before well you know where they are if you, if you kind of remember your u.s history and for those in overseas there was a point in time in american history when they uh, uh amendment was passed to the u.s constitution where alcohol like it was illegal for you to have alcohol yes people drank alcohol and still had alcohol it wasn't legal but they, this is where they are Right, and at this point, too, the Empire State Building is being built. Yeah, it's being built. Like, there's the shot of the the, the uh, t- tower spire thing at the top, and it's not finished yet. Right, so at this stage, we have an idea where everybody is except Fitz. The, yeah, so where they are at the end of the episode, you know, those on the jet is uh, Prohibition in the United States was, from, if I'm, my memory's correct, from the 1920 to, like, 1923 or so. So we've got a three-year window of where they are. And my first thought is, oh, you know, because the thing we find out is uh, the Chronicoms have Fury's book. Like, they have his box, like, with all his secrets. They know everything about S.H.I.E.L.D. now. They got to go find somebody who knows everything about S.H.I.E.L.D. And my first thought was, oh, they're going back in time for Peggy Carter. Ah, well, it's a little early for Peggy Carter. I was like, wait, so how old is, when was Howard Stark born? 1917. All right, they're not exactly going to go for at least a minimum three-year-old Howard Stark. Yeah, this stage, 
this is where we have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. A lot. And this is where I was actually tweeting out and going, what the heck just happened? Yeah. Because doing the time frame jump, whatever you want to define it as, this is where S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to kick off Season 7. Yep. Albeit, though, they have a familiar face joining the team uh-huh. as we find out that, as we long predicted, was going oh, to eventually happen. I was going to say, you called this in, like, Season 1. Yes. I, this is what I've been screaming since Season 1. Albeit it took you a while. You know, hey, I got to the finish line. Thank you very much. No, but this is where we see LMDs are now being integrated into the team. Yep. And at this stage, we see Coulson is now the technical first LMD working for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, and I love the buildup to this is they're kind of talking about they needed some help and who better to have help than somebody who who knows everything about shield, blah, blah, blah. They go, Oh, it's, it's our latest LMD. It's built. It, they had Chronicom technology built into it. So he's the best asset in the field. You know, he's been filled in with all of his memories and caught up with everything that he's missed. And, and Simmons puts a button on the table and kind of like, all right, leave it to yourselves. You guys can push the button. You guys can't. And Mac is kind of going, wait, what? And what's going on? And like, before he can even finish his sentence, Quake goes up and just smashes the button. Exactly. Cause I mean, Colson is the heart and soul of that team. Yeah, Mac is still the director though, and yeah. has done an admirable job. Yeah, they but they outright say Colson is like the second in command. Right, and we see Colson is now activated as an LMD, which, like mm-hmm. I said, since season one, I thought that that's how they're going to bring him back, and that's how it's going to get explained. Because if you've read Shield throughout the years, LMDs are used. Nick yeah. Fury had them for years. In fact. There was a time stretch in the Marvel Universe. You never knew if you were talking to the real Nick Fury. Yeah. And then I'm not even going to talk about talk about the original Sin storyline. That I'm saying this is predating that. Mm-hmm. So now we have it set up that our team is now in the 1920s, in the past. This is how they're going to stop the Chronicon Hunters. Yep. Coulson is now back as an LMD. Somehow they'll factor in the endgame stuff. They're going to factor in endgame. I guarantee you. Okay, so let me wrap this up before I start going in early predictions. Overall thoughts on the episode. Great episode. Action-packed. Absolutely awesome chore- uh, choreography. Can't praise it enough. Fully agree. Choreography was on point. The episode, I mean, except for jumping around so much because yeah. there was so much of that yeah. happening. Uh, it was, I mean, a great finale. I mean, it wasn't the season five finale. No. But it was a great finale. And now I want to get into what is your predictions going into season seven? Lord, I have no idea. Like, I was, my prediction into season seven was they were going to factor in, you know, Endgame and everybody coming back. And that's something. But now that you throw in the time travel and they're in the 20s, which is pre Peggy Carter, pre Howard Stark. And, and, you know, like I was talking with uh, some friends and, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll bring in Tommy Lee Jones's character. Who, who knows? All right. So here's my early predictions. One you are going to see Agent Carter. Okay. Because they're not staying around in that time period. Okay. They are going to time jump. This is going to go Legends of Tomorrow in the MCU. All right. That they're going to start in the 1920s, and I think what they're going to do is find who was developing S.H.I.E.L.D. before Agent Mm, Carter. Okay. Like, I don't know. They're going to explain it. I mean, if they can explain in the comics that the Avengers have been around since B.C. Yeah. And have, you know, the original Avengers team and just stretch... Folks, they can definitely do it with Shield. I mean, I even know that they had the Shield series where Leonardo da Vinci was yeah. a member of Shield. So, and when he says BC, he means like you know, cavemen and dinosaurs. Yes, when Ghost Rider is riding on what a woolly mammoth, yeah, 
that's on fire. Like, yeah, you have to read the series. Yeah, like, it's I can't a wild even, read. Yeah, it's 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 out there. My point being, though, that I think they're going to go into that route. Okay. They're going to dig into the the vast history of Shield. Okay. The fact we didn't see Fitz. Yeah. Makes me wonder where he is in the timeline because if you are going to take him out, remove him, it's very tricky. Right, but at the same token, who was piloting the ship? That's another thing we don't know. Because the ship was flying itself when they got to 1920s New York. Right. So that's another question that we don't have answered. The other one, which I was thinking about, is once they introduce Coulson as an LMD, what do you think the chances are that Simmons is not Simmons? I, you and know, that Simmons could be May as an LMD? Hmm. Because of how her mannerisms were? Yeah, that, that very well could be. Just it was so un-Simmons-like. Exactly. That she, that's my early prediction, that she is actually May. Yeah. And I know it will be weird because, well, reasons, but I don't see Fitz leaving Simmons and vice versa at this stage in the game. Right, but didn't, wasn't May, isn't May going to be all right because Simmons put her in the pod and injected her with something and goes, oh, she'll be all right. She just needs to rebuild her tissue once it gets to the proper temperature. Maybe. Like, no, that's that's the whole thing. They're eventually going to bring her back, but how do you know it's not May from the future? I mean, this is, see, just with the mannerisms and just how cold Simmons was. Yeah. This makes me think that this is not Simmons. So my, like, my initial reaction right now is gotcha. it's May. It could be Simmons, but could it be – I'll even throw you another curveball. Could it be Simmons from the future? Like, let's talk – if we're going to make a comparison – wow, I'm going to go on a crazy tangent here. If we're going to say it's like Days of Future Past okay. with the X-Men, where you had yeah. the X-Men in the future and yeah. you know how they sent Wolverine back, and, yep. and what if they do something like that out loud with Simmons, though? That could be. That you have Simmons who has obviously seen the future that has been taken over by the Chronicon of Hunters. Yeah. And then going from there, you know, she has now maybe uploaded herself into an LMD of maybe herself if it's yeah. not going to be May. Because that was the only thing I was thinking. It was like when May is technically dead and she had not been in that pod that long. I mean, it, I mean, comics reasons, I'm sure they'll find a way to justify. Right. Because they, they even hint that she's going to be OK, because when they go to when they she's taught Simmons is talking about the whole bringing Coulson back thing. You know, she goes, oh, we'd ask May her opinion, but she's going to be out of commission for a while. Right. So it depends on how long she's going to be in there. And are they going to make her into an LMD if they can't save yeah. her? I mean, you now have these doors open. So who knows? I mean, my like I said, my early prediction was like they're going to May's personality might be in Simmons because yeah. I think that she is an LMD. Like, I think the one that we see on the team is an LMD either way. It could be May or it could be Simmons from the future because – at this stage, if you're introducing LMDs, nobody's safe. No. Except the team that you saw on the plane. That's the only thing that you know moving forward. Mm-hmm. And now I have a full sense that they are going to be doing time jumps. Because that's the only way, if you're going to tie in the events of Avengers Endgame, when they come back, which could be the season f- series finale, yeah. is they come back post-snap. And now what happens here? Who knows? Yeah. Overall, though, this season... Was definitely a, a a good season. A little creepy. Little creepy. Little out there. An idea, you know, like in comparison, like I said, for me, season four is the best one. Yeah, I don't think anything touches that. Season five was good, but different, very sci-fi. This was kind of the other side of the coin. Yeah, because they did tie in the sci-fi elements, but also kept it back to where Shield needed to be, since you know, obviously the beginning. I mean, yeah. season one and season two. Season one not good until the Captain America two episode. We've talked about that a long time on the show. 
But moving forward, though, the episode was a perfect way to end and yet build some anticipation for whatever's going to happen next. A lot of things are going to go in the final 11 episodes or however many are left to S.H.I.E.L.D. And to obviously end the show, which really kicked in the door for the MCU TV. Say the longest running Marvel TV show in history. Thus far. Yeah. I mean, this is saying a lot, so they're obviously going to finish on a strong note. We can't wait to watch, but definitely hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on the episode? We gave you a lot. What do you think is coming season seven? I really want to talk to our listeners about that. ODPH Society, hit me up. Let me know. We are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the third segment on this edition of the ODPH, and we talked last week about House of X. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Hickman has hit the door running, Yeah, and the X universe is now getting their big reset in comics. Yep. So Powers of X has been the companion book mm-hmm. for the reset. It's going to be six issues. And this started out a very, very interesting way. We are going to be talking spoilers. Pad, what did you think? I mean, I I enjoyed reading it, but I had to have a couple people explain it to me because I had no idea what the heck was going on. Right, which it does make sense that this is a little confusing because it did take me a couple reads to do. But like any Jonathan Hickman story... He does these long building dramas that, I mean, yeah. they span years. The They're epics. I mean, that is why he is on the, the X-Men line, and he is going to do a fantastic job. For me, this was a great issue, but it definitely jumps around a lot of different places, and you kind of have the timeline set up of what is going on with the X-Men because mm-hmm. it, it, it starts with Charles Xavier in years ago before he even formed the X-Men, and then you have the present world, which they're calling Year 10. And that is where he's walking around with that weird cerebral-like helmet on that you now see him in all the press uh, artwork for. Yep. Then they fast forward to year 100, which they're alluding to as a war, which you see the character of Nimrod on the panel page. Mm -hmm. Now, Nimrod, if you're not familiar with, is a evolution of Sentinels, who is basically... The easiest way to describe it is when you see the big, tall, purple robots throughout the histories yep. of comics, those are you know the basis form of Sentinels. Yep. You can consider that like T1, sure. Terminator 1. Nimrod is like T1000 from Terminator 2, just mm-hmm. more evolved. Like he yeah. is, His power scheme is basically he can defeat every single mutant on the planet, pretty much. Right. And he has a, he's a long his, historic X-Men villain. So where he is going to fit into this is going to be really interesting. And then they flash to year 1000 and ascension and you have a new character that we really don't know a lot about no that is going to come into play as we move forward and the episode or the issue kind of jumps around where you see him meeting with somebody who we think is more mctaggart who's been a long-standing x-men ally yeah they got a little bit of history absolutely i mean tying into the new mutants i mean just a lot of history going on between those two and xavier is really seeming like he's out of place on this Mm -hmm. where moira is alluding to a little bit more that, I mean, she kind of explains that she had a tarot card reading. Yep. And, you know, whatever was revealed to her was three cards. See, the magician was one, the tower was a second, and the devil was the third. 
and kind of gives a little background about him, but nothing much that you as the reader don't really know what's going on, but this is going to play a factor down the road. Mm-hmm. And then at this point, she does reference Charles Xavier by name, and he really pauses and goes, I'm sorry, do we know one another? Because when she says a line to him about it's not really a dream if it's real, mm-hmm. it triggers something in him. So once he does the mind read, and she says, read my mind, you'll find out and you'll see. Hickman leaves it hanging right here. Yeah. So this is going to play in down the road. But obviously this is going to be laying some groundwork moving forward. And then they jump into what they are referring to as year 10. Now, if this is supposed to be the timeline of the X-Men, I, I, I obviously this is going to be a little more than 10 years. Right, yeah, because the, the thing we see when the start of the issue is like, Xavier's still walking around. He's like not in that familiar wheelchair we saw him in for a lot of years. He still looks relatively young. So presumably that's like before, you know, it's before he meets Magneto, before the X-Men, before anything ever happens. Right. So obviously how they're defining these decades or however they're defining them, just remember that this is time periods. They're not exactly lined up perfect years. Right. That's why I really want to stress to our listeners here. And as they jump into year 10, as they're referring it to, you see where this issue now picks up from House of X-1, where you saw Mystique and Toad escape from damage control with a zip drive of some information. She brings it to Magneto. And this is where we're kind of seeing everybody has a little ulterior motives going on, so to speak. As they do. Well, with Mystique, you never know what's going on, really. (laughs) You don't know whose side she's on. She may not even be on her own. Exactly. And as you see, Xavier now enters the fray and is pretty much explaining, well, this is, if you're going to be on my planet, this is the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And meaning his planet is Kroka. Yep, laying some ground rules. Yes, that everybody has to pay a price to stay in Kroka and live in peaceful mutant harmony, so to speak. Yeah. Because he winds up getting the zip drive and uploading it into whatever he does. And Mystique is really tra- just trying to understand how this changed demeanor is really the new Charles Xavier. Because it's not the one she's familiar with. It's the one nobody's familiar with. Yeah. I don't even think Magneto is. I think he's kind of sitting back and watching the chips fall. Yeah. Because he has just not really made a lot of moves. No. He's definitely working with Xavier, and we've seen them being allies in the past, but the demeanor that he's being written in this book as Xavier is. Yeah. This is very telling, and I'm going back to my original theory that this is not the Charles Xavier we know. Okay. I like I said, yeah. My early guess is this could possibly possibly be the Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, and I'll stretch it, and we'll just say reasons being comics. This could also be another version of Charles Xavier. We don't know because we have not seen him without that cerebro like helmet on him. Yep. So who's to say what's going on? The only thing that we can definitely tell you for real is this Xavier figure. If it is him, has a definite demeanor to him and definitely a colder approach to how his dream is going to become reality. I'll say it's not quite the warm, friendly, hugging Xavier we're all used to. Right. This is one that definitely is more calculating, more yeah. cold. And yeah, it doesn't really give a you-know-what. Yeah, which I almost want to say is more Magneto than Magneto Yeah, at this stage, yeah. which is a weird thing to say, yeah. but I'm going to say it. I'll say Magne- as cold and calculating as Magneto can be, he does have some lines, albeit they might be odd ones and far out, but... He still has his lines. Yes, exactly. So more to follow on that as the issues are going to be moving forward with this. Because now as Powers of X-1 progresses, we now jump to the 100-year war. Yep. Which has been defined as man has now teamed up with machine to fight mutants. So this, I guess, has been the evolution, I guess, of what's been going on with humanity. That now they're teaming 
with machines, so you see them working side by side with Sentinels. Sounds like a spinoff of uh, Terminator. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the parallels to the Terminator universe on this are really kind of big, uh-huh. at least thus far. And I know they're going to go in a different direction by the time it's all said and done. But as we see, there is different mutants that are, are trying to escape with something, and you see some mutants that look like versions that we've seen in the past. Like mm-hmm. we see one who I can't tell if she is supposed to be a robot, but you see her with like an open skull that's yeah. like black that's like uh, it almost looks like circuitries in her head. Looks like a brain type thing. Yeah, and she's known as Sila Bell. And then you see what looks like Nightcrawler's children. See, I I know some people said that. For some reason, I was thinking like Colossus's kid type thing. Well, the one does because as they show with the tarot card readings in the beginning, the one that was referred to as the magician is a mutant known as Rasputin. Mm. Which, if you know the history of Colossus, you know where that name is tied into. And then you see one that is red that is was on the tarot card referred to as the devil. Yeah. And that one looks very much so like Nightcrawler mm-hmm. and has kind of the demeanor of him. And the only thing you hear, ever hear him referred to as priest. Yeah. So I don't know if that's supposed to be his name or not. But you see the character of Rasputin go jumping into the fray trying to save Sila Bell and just loses that battle. But you definitely see her fighting her way through. And you can definitely see the different mutant abilities that she has like mm-hmm. at one point you see her form the skin like colossus yeah and deflect some bullets and you see her wielding a sword like magic yeah so at this stage there is a lot going on that we just don't know but it's great action great artwork and you see that the priest character escapes and they cannot get sila bell out of there that you just see rasputin is losing this battle sila bell is getting captured and then they kind of jump into where like hickman has been doing these little segues in between explaining what's going on and we're hearing about how sinister has now been tampering with the mutant gene it almost and it almost seems like he's taking like you you've seen in other movies and tv shows like the best bits of certain mutants and kind of blending them together yes which is if you know anything about mr sinister he does do that i mean he's been yeah. experiment, experimenting on mutants since he's been involved in comics <laughs> Yeah. To put it mildly, you can go through the lineage through your local comic book shops or however you read your comics to just go through that, that backlog because I don't even want to get into how much it's he's tampered with. It's a long one. With. But he definitely has. And where Hickman, I think, has really been excelling at is he's he's really explained some of these issues going on without giving everything away. Mm-hmm. And the only thing we know at this t- point is Mr. Sinister has been working on mutants and kind of you know tampering with their DNAs and really kind of progressing the evolution yeah. of mutants. And it's really been kind of touched upon that there's some bits of time that are missing that haven't been explained. Like they yeah. talk about the fall of Kuroka and Mars, and it's kind of tied into what Mr. Sinister has been doing with the mutant genes. And as we see, like an example, they do break down Rasputin's powers, and they tie in everybody from Kid Omega to um, Kitty Pride, X-23 to say, and there's multiple other ones mixed in with her as well. So you're seeing that these mutants are more like the mutant mimic to a degree, who, yeah. was, who was the first mutant to have the powers of all five of the original X-Men at one point. So where this is playing in the to the future, we don't know. The only thing that has been touched upon is with all these mutants now having all these evolved powers, Mr. Sinister has now been tagged that with the fall of Kuroka has been tied into him. And what goes on with him is it's been alluded to that he betrays mutant kind. Yeah. And joins up with the man machine army only to be executed by them. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm sure that they caught on to some double dealing he was doing because, hey, that's what Sinister does. Yeah, he never exactly does things with a upfront nature. No, it never is. So with him, it's he double-crossed the wrong side, and, yeah. and they got him. So, But at this stage, he's already done the damage. Mutant Kind apparently has fallen after being in this utopia under Xavier during this point. Yep. And now we flash forward. We're still in the Hundred Year War where we see Nimrod is now apparently running the man machine side of things uh-huh. with a mutant or I'm sorry, a machine human known as Omega as his assistant. You know, think Megatron's shockwave. Yeah. And they bring Sila Bell to him and he is basically saying, well, you can either tell me what I want or I'm going to extract this by how I'm going to do this. And he puts Sila Bell into a cryogenic chamber where I believe it's nanotech is now taking the memories out of her. Yeah. So basically just mind wiping her and leaving her to be in a vegetative state for the rest of the time. Yep. And which, he feels no remorse about this. And he doesn't. Well, if you know anything about Nimrod, though, Nimrod has always been more, ro- I mean, obviously he's robotic, but yeah. just demeanor. Like you don't see him having a personality. Yeah. And on this, he definitely has a personality, which was weird to me to read. Mm. Cause I'm not saying he was cracking one liners by any means, but there is an exchange where, like, Sila Bell is, you know, professing that you'll never break my, you know, break me down and, you know, we'll just endure and handle this. And Nimrod answers and goes, that's the spirit. I love it. And I'm going, okay, that's not the Nimrod I know. Right. So at this stage, though, you see that Sila Bell has been drained. And then you kind of hear some more history about the Hundred Year War where that the mutants that are fighting the resistance are going on and just, you know, how they're dealing with the man-machine army. And you do flash forward to where you see Priest and Rasputin go through a time or a, a portal, and they wind up meeting, uh, which we're assuming are the X-Men of this time, of the Hundred Year War. Right. And you see a character that looks like Groot from the Guardians of the Galaxy, but definitely is not Groot. Yeah, I say, if you go and watch Guardians of the Galaxy and then read this comic, you're not going to see the same person. Yeah, he's definitely mixed up with somebody. You see someone that looks like, I almost was going to say Green Magneto because he looks like Oliver Queen mixed with Magneto. <laughs> and I'm going to say that this is a mix of Havoc and Polaris. So this could be their child in the future. Could be. Who knows? You also see somebody who looks like the character Zorn, which if you've ever read Grant Morrison's run on the X-Men. Yeah. It's that Zorn. Uh-huh. I'm going to leave that one alone. Don't even want to go near that subject. And you also see Wolverine at mm-hmm. this stage. Now, the more you look at this picture of Wolverine, he does have a beard of some sort. Yeah. Now, I can't tell if it's the coloring question. This is almost like the one about, you know, the, with the dress. The dress and yeah. such. Yeah. Because when Pad saw it, Pad, what color did you think it was? I thought it was white. Like we're looking at like an old man Logan type thing. And I thought it was blonde, like it's Sabretooth. Mm, so we're having this debate definitely join in that conversation on hashtag odph but we have wolverine who apparently is running it the we're going to assume that this is the x-men of this time and they're basically interrogating priest and rasputin and saying did you get what we sent you on the mission for and they're like yeah it's worth it all right then follow me the old man's waiting and that's how the issue ends for that segment of the hundred year war and then they flash to the thousand years where you see a character known as Librarian at this moment is sitting in front of the corpse of Sila Bell, who has been completely drained. Yeah, and, looking a little worse for wear. Yes, and is talking to a robot version that apparently is what's left of Nimrod. Yeah, a little which, shrunk down. Yeah, which it looks like Skeet from Booster Gold. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, that's I, so I'm like really confused of what's going on here, and they're just kind of divulging in about 
the evolution of mutant kind, and that's where they really leave it off at. And now, I mean, they're just explaining when the issues are coming out, and it appears that there was one coming every week. Okay. So whether it's House of X or Powers of X, it's happening. So, Pad, with that breakdown, what do you think is next? Man, I don't know, because they set up so much, and there's even the end shot where they're talking, and they look down into a greenhouse-type-looking thing, and there's humans sitting there. Yeah. Like it, it, like out of Adam and Eve in the Bible, like they're, they're naked or something like that. So, like... I don't. I almost wonder if it's like it's something in the past, setting up the future. I meant time travel. I don't know. Yeah, this is a issue that jumps around a lot, and it will pay off. I'm I'm positive, and I know, I, and I'm sure this will make a lot more sense to me in the future when we know more. But for right now, I'm still so confused. I mean, like I said, I thought it was a great issue, but there's so much to digest with this that you need to read it a couple times. In all honesty, just to kind of get a grasp of it moving forward, because next week. House of X comes out, so there'll yep. be some more added to it. And the next issue of Powers of X comes out week of August 14th. So there's going to be so much happening with this, but there's a, you know, a newfound ref, you know, refreshing air to the X-Men right now yeah. because this has got such a different vibe to it. Yeah, it's something new, and it doesn't feel like a, just a, a old story with some new paint on it. Right. So where they're going to go with this is anybody's guess. I'm locked in on this. I know Pat is, too. Yeah. We're probably going to be covering this moving forward till the dawn of X coming up in October. Either way, though, Powers of X is worth picking up at your local comic shop or however you're reading your comics. Definitely check it out. Interact with us on social media. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on Powers of X this week? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH pad. Kick off those one-shots for Got us. Got a couple of things. Uh, firstly, you know, some video game news. Uh, Destiny 2's next expansion, titled Shadowkeep, uh, has a new release date uh, that was announced by Bungie last week. Uh, and a post... Uh, blog post they put on their website which you can read the full thing uh it said in quote just a little bit as we get closer to and closer to the serving up shadow keep and new light it has become increasingly clear to us that our releases for this fall would benefit from a bit more time in the oven being independent means that the future of destiny 2 is entirely on our team it also means that we're agile enough to choose to do what's best for the game and off and our players even if it's the hard choice. We wanted to let you, our community, know first that we're changing the date for Shadowkeep and New Light from September 17th to October 1st. Uh, you can go and read more at Bungie.net for their blog post, but that's a little bit of interesting news. Also, if I'm not mistaken, and you can let us know on uh, hashtag ODPH, throwing a little shade at Activision uh, by the whole yeah. being independent means that the future of Destiny is entirely in our teams, We're in, and they're able to choose what they want to do what's best for the game and their players, even if it's the hard choice i read that too and i'm like yeah, yeah they definitely threw some at them yeah threw throwing some shade i'm all you know i understand and i'm you know i'm 
glad and okay with them moving the expansion back. I've got my uh, expansion pre-ordered and, and got the countdown timer going on my PlayStation, waiting for it to hit. Uh, I'm more than okay with it, especially since the original release date, September 17th, was the same week that Borderlands 3 and Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order were coming out that same week. So that was going to be a messy week. So moving it back to you know the first first of October, more than happy with it, more than okay with it. Perfect timing too around New York Comic Con. Uh huh. Got some uh, late breaking news as we record because hey, they decided to wait until we were recording before. I like how that's happening yes. now, a little bit more and more. Yes, of course. Uh, so first off, we got some breaking news about the upcoming sequel to Venom, Venom Two. It has found a director, ladies and gentlemen. Who's that, Pat? Andy Circus. That yes. Andy Circus. Yep, that Andy Circus who plays nice. Caesar in uh, the. Planet of the Apes films was Gollum and Lord of the Rings, a lot of stuff. Not his first directing uh, opportunity. His his first movie he directed was uh, Mowgli: Legend of the Jungle, which came out on Netflix. You can you can watch on Netflix. Andy tweeted out uh, at on his Twitter account at Andy Circus. Quote: It's happening. The symbiote has found a host in me, and I'm ready for the ride. Can't wait. Hashtag Venom. Hashtag Venom Two. Hashtag Marvel. And a photo of him holding a Venom comic. Uh, which, if I'm not mistaken, looks like he's holding a copy that says Lethal Protector. Yeah, that's the one he's holding up. So not yeah. sure how they're going to tie that in, but yeah. yep, I'm and, excited on that, though. Yep, and then some other news. Uh, according to Variety, Gemma Chan is in talks to join Marvel's The Eternals. Now, if you look at the face and think, oh, she looks kind of familiar. Uh, she played Min Irva in Captain Marvel, but as of this time, it is unknown if she will be reprising her role as Min Irva or somebody else entirely. Okay, so I guess here would be my question. If she is going to play another character, which, by the way, I'm completely on board with her joining the film, too. Yeah. If she's going to be playing another character, is this going to be okay with fans? Because everybody started immediately going crazy when Mahershala Ali Mm -hmm. was cast as Blade, and they're like, no, he was Cottonmouth and Luke Cage. Right. See, that would be my only question mark that if, if... this is happening, then you know what? The next Netflix universe is okay, and it's still part of the MCU, yeah, and, and yeah. everybody can stop yeah. that. Because I, I do like Gemma Chan in this. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's amazing casting. I'm more than okay with this. Uh, Variety did reach out to Marvel for comment. Marvel had no comment. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how they're they're stocking up the Eternals because, like we said on previous episodes, mm-hmm. the Eternals is going to be the biggest gamble yeah. for Marvel as far as the MCU goes yeah. since they attempted Inhumans. Yeah, I would even say Guardians of the Galaxy to a certain degree because we really weren't sure how that was going to go. Well, Guardians was the one on the fence most at that time. Well, like at, at the time, a lot of people were like, oh, if Marvel's going to fail, it's going to be Guardians. And well, then it didn't. Well, because with Guardians, anytime you go cosmic, and I mean, how they played it up, though, it really suited the vibe they, yeah. were, they were going with, especially yeah. like how most Marvel Disney films are these days. So it made yeah. a lot of sense. Inhumans was the first one to fail. Oh, uh, yeah. And you you can't say it otherwise no, than it. No, that, that, no, that, that was, was that was a, that was a hot piece of garbage. Yes. So now going in with the Eternals, they're loading the cast up. I mean, mm-hmm. the casting, I, I everybody they've casted for the film, I love, and I think it's going to be great on that aspect. I'm just really wondering how they're going to portray this to the MCU and the yeah. storyline. And unless this is going to be a springboard for, let's say, mutants to be in, in mentioned in yeah. or or something in that variation. I just I don't know how this is going to play out. I really don't. But I feel like it, for the Eternals because it's such an unknown. It's they're going to be playing the long game with it. Like they'll introduce them. They'll have a good story. It'll it'll everyone will enjoy the film. But like the payoff for what they set up in that film won't be felt until much further down the road, even outside of this next phase. So we'll have to definitely wait and see. But great casting for the Eternals, though. Yeah. So moving forward, going to keep more ears open for that because I really want to hear what that story is going to be. Uh huh. So for my one shots, let's go into it. 
Cloak and Dagger yep. has been announced that they will be appearing on the next season of Runaways. Mm-hmm. I believe it is. They've been releasing some press photos with them on the cast, yeah. uh, Aubrey Joseph and Olivia Holt. And I want to say there's even a video on the Runaways Twitter account where the cast of Runaways made an announcement uh, when this is going on. So you can go to the Runaways Twitter account and check out the video. Yeah, so definitely check that out. Super excited about it. Haven't heard anything yet about season no. three. But if I had to be a, a betting man, and I do like to take my shots with the dice, mm-hmm. I'm going to say we'll definitely hear something about Cloak and Dagger Season 3. Probably. Probably soon right after those episodes really yeah. start taking yeah. place. Yeah, because I, f- I, I get the feeling that they wouldn't, if there wasn't going to be a Season 3 or it wasn't already in the works, they wouldn't be doing a crossover. Yeah. Like, why do a crossover with a show when you're not coming back for another season with one half of those characters? Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Pat. So I got to say, we'll probably hear something either when the show starts coming out or maybe I'm just going to throw a long shot out there. Mm-hmm. Certain comic book convention coming up first week of October. Emerald City. Con- oh, wait, no, that's October. Uh Something in New York. Yeah, NYCC. Oh, you know what? I've heard of it. So maybe we'll hear something there. I'm going to put the unofficial ODPH guest out on that one. So definitely keep your eyes tuned for that because Cloak and Dagger being on Runaways, I can't wait to watch that. Yeah. And going into what's coming out at the comic book shops this week, Batman 76 is coming out. Obviously, what's going on with that whole storyline, uh-huh. worth picking up. Marvel side, we were talking about House of X. Two is coming out, yep. and we t- we gave you a whole spoiler thing about Powers of X. I mean, it's definitely a long, slow burn for the drama, but it's going to build up, and when the payoff happens, it's going to be worth picking up. And Absolute Carnage is coming out at your local mm-hmm. comic book shops. And, I mean, Donny Cates is Marvel's hottest writer right now. Definitely the job he's done with Venom and how crazy he's really flipped Venom and his whole origin and everything going on there. To see him now get a, a huge crossover like this with Absolute Carnage, it's going to be absolutely wild. Yeah. I mean, Venom and Spider-Man are teaming up, and just everything going on with this storyline is going to be absolutely bananas, to put it mildly. So I would say if you want to take a shot with picking up Absolute Carnage 1, you won't be disappointed because, like I say, this is going to be one of the most talked-about books of the year, in my opinion, mm-hmm. hands down. And also going into some CW news. Uh-huh. Now, you know we were keeping our eyes peeled for everything that is Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. It has been announced Black Lightning is returning in October. Yep. And it is now confirmed, as we talked about on the show, mm-hmm. Black Lightning will be a part of the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right, which makes sense. I mean, given what the story entails, it's the, the multiverse coming together. But yeah, no, this was announced the other day at a TCA uh, the CW had, which essentially, for those who don't know what a TCA is, uh, the exact acronym escapes me, but essentially what it is, it's where the heads of network television and producers and actors and actresses get up on stage and they tell writers and, and essentially, if, if I'm not mistaken, they're trying to sell to advertisers why you should advertise with their show. And this it got brought up, obviously, because Crisis is going to be the biggest crossover they've done to date on the CW. You know, oh, will Black Lightning join in the crossover? Because to this point, you know, Black Lightning's kind of off in its own little thing doing its own own show. But the, yeah, no, they said that uh, Black Lightning will be a part of the cri- the crossover to what form and what extent, we don't know, but he will be there. But that's not all they announced. No, no, no. They had one of the biggest announcements of pop culture that we have uh-huh. heard in a long time, Pat. Uh-huh. I don't want to steal your thunder. You yeah. got this one. Uh, Kevin Conroy will be in the crossover portraying an elder Batman. Yes, folks, Conroy is going to be on the CW. Yes, playing Bruce Wayne. Uh-huh. Now, we have not got confirmation that it, this will cross over with Batman Beyond. Do Batman Beyond for the love of God. But, please. Like, you have to. 
I mean, I'm sorry, Kevin Conroy is finally going to be able to play Bruce Wayne if he doesn't, live action. If he doesn't do the whole I am Vengeance, I am the Night, I am Batman, like, like go up. You can find the video on YouTube. It's It was everywhere when the cartoon was on, and that was the main advertisement for it. If he doesn't do I am Vengeance, I am the Night, I am Batman, I'm going to be very disappointed. No, that's a surefire lock. Yeah. If we're going to do locks and leaps, that's a lock. Yeah. The leap is they're going to cast Terry McGinnis. Which oh, that'd be awesome. They need. To, I mean, depending on what they want to do with the storyline, but at least it's going to be four episodes. I'm not down there going to expand it, and we just don't know about it yeah, yet. Yeah, could they, be. The other thing I read was uh, uh, Stephen Amell did an interview during San Diego Comic-Con, and, and bringing in, speaking of Crisis on Infinite Earths, it got brought up about Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum portraying, uh, reprising their roles as Clark and Lex Luthor. And, and you know, if uh, Stephen was very coy about it. He's like, listen, I'm in the camp that's all for that happening. And they even went, somebody even went as far as to ask Kristen Kruk, who played Lana in Smallville. And, and, you know, she said she holds a very special place in her heart for Smallville. And, and the fact that it still gets love from fans to this day. And, and she's all for it. If, if like if they want to have Lana from Smallville show up, you know, on this crossover in some capacity, Kristen Crook's all for it. It would make sense. I mean, it just depends on what Tom Welling wants to do. Yeah. And I think it kind of it rolls on him. Right. And, and as if you follow these guys on social media, you know that Stephen Amell is very friendly with Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum. Like they've hung out together. Yeah. And even like I said, they don't have to even suit up. They no. can be in street clothes. And no. I think it would be fine. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. If Smallville, say what you will about Smallville, good, bad, or otherwise, if Smallville hadn't have had the run it had in 10 seasons and had the success it had, Arrow would not have happened. Agreed. You can't even question that. Smallville showed major networks. I mean, the CW is a major network now right. that you can definitely run a long comic book show on, and yeah. definitely as long as the story and actors are into it, yeah, you can do it. I mean... To go how many years? Ten, ten seasons. Ten seasons. 2001 to 2011. And sure, it clashed with the comic history that we know of Superman. Superman, it's still a good show. Because how many other comic shows are going that long? None. I mean, you want to say The Walking Dead? Walking Dead, yeah. Walking, uh, Walking Dead, but outside that, nothing's come close. Yeah, nothing's really come Arrow's been the closest one to make season eight, and they're done yeah. after this. Yeah. So to get to ten years, it shows that there is an audience for this. And Smallville's the one that kicked in the door for everybody. Mm-hmm. And... You to tie them in would make a lot of sense. And if you haven't seen Smallville, I know the entire series is on Hulu, so it is available to watch. Yeah, so if you need something to start binge watching in the Small, meantime, Smallville's a great watch. That'd be a perfect watch. So Tom Welling, if you can hear us, ODPH Society, get at him. Tell him to join the Crisis team. Yes, and even in just a small cameo, like I said, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have to even yeah. put on the suit. No, I, he doesn't need to. Just join the party because this is going to be the monumental moment in DC CW TV. I was like, this is going to be like, you had the whole charge in Avengers Endgame where like, we finally got the payoff of every major character from the 10 years of Marvel history charging together. This is going to be it for DC thus far. Yeah, for the CW. For the CW, this is going to be it. This is like their chance to have all their major characters and all their, like the one, uh, I think it was uh, Earth Act, Crisis on Earth X or whatever it was, where we had that awesome shot of them all walking together slowly and how awesome that was. Yeah. It's going to be like that on steroids. And especially, too, there's been rumors that they're going to be adding another show yeah. to the lineup. Yeah, so they were talking about a, bu- a bunch of the shows. They brought up Batwoman and all this other. They were talking about that and how they wanted to keep that grounded and all this stuff. And and somebody asked them about doing a Arrow 2040 spinoff because they've kind of set up that spinoff if they wanted to do it with the flash forwards in last season of Arrow. And and it was brought up and, and they said, you know, we do it and we'd consider it, but we have something else planned. So let me ask you this, Pad. What do you think that is? I mean, my my gut, my heart says Batman Beyond, but I know that's probably not going to be the case. 
I have two. Okay. And I tweeted this out. I, we were getting asked by a couple different podcasts. One, Green Lantern, John Stewart. Yeah. Which they've already set up enough in Arrow. If they, yeah. if, if I don't see Diggle put on a Green Lantern ring by the time the crisis is all said and done, I'm going to be very, very fighter up. My long shot, though, is Blue Beetle. Ooh, okay. Because I know that it's been rumored that that movie was in pre-production. They were trying to get a script done. Right, right. We talked about it a little bit while. I'm not saying that it would be out of the realm of thought to put it on the CW. Yeah. I think it could definitely work on there as a, yeah. as a, as a TV show. Uh, it just really depends on what they want to go with it. Yeah. I, and I know the ultimate long shot, but I, I just don't see it happening, would be Legion of Superheroes because mm. they tie in so much with the future. Yeah. I don't know how Legion, like Legion, in my opinion, should go on DC Universe. Yeah. That would be fine on there. To put that on the CW, I think, would be a little tough. Right, and I know some people have been wondering if uh, Batman at some point will show up on Batwoman, and they said they w- they said they wouldn't rule out Batman showing up from time to time on Batwoman, but don't expect it to be like an every other week thing. No, and it shouldn't be. You should definitely let the story, you know, Batwoman's story play out. I mean, yeah. especially they're going to be doing Hush on there. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't need to tie in everything to Batman. Like I think no. the more you you do that, I mean, Arrow season three is case point enough. Yeah. That you don't need to tie in everything. Let these characters have their own story. Let them carve their own niche and go from there. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And, I mean, obviously, hit us up on that hashtag and let us know, though. Hashtag ODPH. What do you think should be the new addition to the CW universe? Mm-hmm. Definitely want to hear some feedback on that. And before I close out the show, definitely want to give a quick shout-out to Excite Wrestling. Johnny Moose will be coming on the podcast sometime in the next few weeks. He could be possibly on the next episode. We don't know yet. But they have a huge show coming up September 1st at Nice Egg Stadium. All the information you need for that, hit up ExciteWrestling.com. Tickets are flying. You definitely don't want to miss this show. It's their biggest one of the year. It's Excites WrestleMania. Exactly. So if you're into pro wrestling, definitely check it out. If not... Take a look on ExciteWrestling.com and you know make your own opinions because it might be something that might appeal to you. I know they might be streaming it. I don't know. You'll have to hit up Moose and ask him yourself. But definitely go check it out. And if you live in around the 607 area, get your tickets now. Don't miss out on the show, folks. You will regret it later if you don't. Because that's all we got for this week. So for Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. 